buddy. I'm Dan Winter, and I'm with Dave. <laughs> hey, everyone. I would like to thank, of course, Riel and uh, the one and only Dan Winter for coming on the show again. We have a great um, episode or presentation from, of course, the one and only Dan himself today. So without further ado, Dan, how are you, sir? And the floor is yours. We've been having some very intense conversations lately. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we're, we're meditating essentially on Bearden saying that a gravity wave is a longitudinal wave and we're scratching our head and so the essential title of today's conversation is supposing you were a scientist who would actually like to know why objects fall to the ground now normally if you're in a physics class it's embarrassing to ask the question just like it's embarrassing to ask in a biology class what does the word instinct means because it doesn't mean a damn thing it's a word for we don't have a clue and in the case of when you ask a physics teacher why objects fall to the ground, their answer, gravity, is their word for we don't have a clue. <laughs> now, <laughs> it, but it, again, there might be some physicists who would actually like to know why objects fall to the ground. And in that case, <laughs> uh, now, first, uh, let's ask about motivations. Now, my suggestion of what the right motivation intention should be for a scientist who would like to inquire why objects fall to the ground uh the best motivation probably would not be because if you you felt insulted the day famous maurice cotterell said these damn physicists are pretty arrogant because they don't have a clue why objects fall to the ground now that being insulted from maurice cotterell saying that might not be the best motivation and also um if you noticed that uh einstein and um and nasa and stephen hawking's don't know why objects fall to the ground i don't think it's a matter of bragging rights so that isn't the best motivation either that i know something einstein stephen hawking and nasa doesn't know namely why objects fall to the ground no i don't even think that's the right motivation for today's scientists who would like to know why objects fall to the ground no i think a better motivation for a scientist who would like to know why objects fall to the ground would be it has been noticed and measured in many cases that the places where the gravity lines, the magnetic lines, the longitudinal array, as it were, crosses the so-called sacred site, magnetic line crosses. Uh, not only did there, did Bruce Cathy measure significant reduction in nuclear critical mass a, a magnetic line cross and of course uh Kosirev and Karatkov measured this is the place where telepathy is enabled measurably so here we're getting so close and also we know that um, as we talked many times Bill Tiller measured that focused human attention causes apparently the same kind of compression that gravity does so actually, my suggestion here for the correct motivation <laughs> for the scientist who might like to know why objects fall to the ground would be to learn what consciousness is. I mean, to learn what creates life. <laughs> now, that would be a good motivation. And it is with that in mind that I suggest we do our little inquiry. Well, <laughs> now, the other thing we know is that... Um, uh not only is focused human attention electrically centripetal and that whatever causes a seed to germinate is electrically centripetal we know if you zap 
a centripetal plasma around seeds, it causes them to germinate faster. That's called therify.net. And we know that focused attention is electrically centripetal. We know that electrical, electric, electronegativity, a negative ion, as it were, is electrically centripetal. And of course, <laughs> gravity is centripetal. Hmm. Okay, let's ask, does physics know why anything is centripetal? Uh, no. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so, so there is uh, Victor Schauberger standing next to his water vortex. And we've, you, we've seen the pictures many times. And it's piezo-doped water. So the water's a little piezoelectric. And then that vortex spontaneously starts getting colder. And, of course, starts making a voltage differential, makes voltage from gravity. Spontaneously gets colder, called leg entropy. And the repulsing, it makes a bit of gravity. In fact, they say that's how Hitler got started on the Mercury vortex, the Manahanabu Nazi bell. <laughs> that was a vortex making some gravity. Hmm. So these things seem intimately related, don't they? That if we knew why anything was centripetal, then we might know why objects fall to the ground. Oh, then that'd be cool. And we might know the cause of life. And we might know the cause of consciousness. I think this is exciting. I mean, for the first time on this planet, <laughs> wouldn't that be actually useful? I think it would be, really. <laughs> so let's investigate what Tom Bearden meant when he said that gravity waves are longitudinal waves. Remember we said when a vortex for electromagnetics, when it's compressing well, it converts the transverse, the up and down electromagnetics, into a more disciplined and organized and efficiently propagating longitudinal or compressional electromagnetic, which seems to be what a gravity wave is made of. So in a sense, anything that causes the kind of implosive compression of charge, hint, magnetic phase conjugation, hint, optical phase conjugation, hint, electrostatic phase conjugation, any broad spectral way of making a pine cone implode <laughs> could then convert some of the transverse inertia, electromagnetic, into a longitudinal compressional wave at the Planck threshold and spit out that longitudinal wave. And when you spit that longitudinal wave out, I just got pushed back. I made some gravity. <laughs> So anything that causes an array to spit out longitudinal EMF coherently makes some gravity. In other words, you're really screwed. I mean, it screws down the vortex and it implodes. Now, let's, we, we want, to, I'm going to have a few slides here, but I want to track, supposing you were a fairly serious scientist and you wanted to track the logic here. So I'm going to show you our two published papers proving the fact that golden mean ratio phase conjugation optimizes constructive compression, therefore implosion, and therefore is the cause of gravity. The reason we know that phase conjugation by golden ratio fractality is the cause of gravity is because that allows the implosion of charge to squirt out that longitudinal wave, obviously. But we want to track the logic here from the beginning. And so let's try for some accuracy of terminology here. 
Remember, we have said many times the universe is comprised of a single contiguous compressible media, sometimes called the ether. What it is literally is the compressibility of charge, which behaves like a superfluid. And everybody who studied this really agrees. There's no disagreement on this. The universe is comprised of one single contiguous unified field, superfluid, call it plus and minus charge, which is the compression and rarefaction of the ether, as it were. Now, when that charge rotates, it concentrates and stores inertia. Our only name and definition of mass creation physics is when charge rotates. And that rotation has a period, the only definition and origin of the concept of time. So, you know, when you see here's a vortex, seven color donut map, you'll see it at sacred geometry tools. Now, if you push that seven color donut map and accelerate it, some of the inertia of the acceleration is translated from rotational spin into compressional spin towards center, which accelerates spin rate, the experience of time. That is why acceleration causes time to speed up, because of the translation of vorticity from the acceleration of the, of the donut into the spin rate of that donut. Some of that translation of vorticity down that spiral, down that vortex center, is translated, increasing the spin rate named time. So calling it bending space-time is a crappy language. It ain't even helpful. And calling it, uh, uh, you know, a fabric of space-time isn't even helpful either. No, what's helpful is to understand what time is, which is spin rate, period. Now, once we understand that, we can begin th to think clearly about something else namely gravity. Essentially, when Einstein said there is no experiment to discriminate the feeling of acceleration when you're going up in an accelerator from gravity. So acceleration, he said, was functionally equivalent to gravity. But what he should have said was acceleration is gravity. <laughs> So, so charge is a name for the experience of, I mean, gravity is a name for the experience of charge acceleration. And the fact that charge tends to accelerate as it goes toward the center of mass, we call that gravity. But in fact, it is the, it is precisely and only the phenomenon of the fact that charge accelerates toward the center of symmetry. And and that symmetry is creating an implosive centripetal force for charge. So now if we understand how charge could begin to accelerate in a particular kind of array, namely fractal, then we have specifically explained fully why objects fall to the ground, because we've explained fully the origin of acceleration of charge in a fractal uh, self-similar symmetry array. So those, those are some of the basics here. And then we could begin to talk about um, the uh, relationship of gravity to consciousness at the nodes of that permissive longitudinal array. But first, uh, let's uh, look at just some of the pictures here. Uh, let's see here, the cause of gravity slideshow, uh, Safari. Let me see. Now, if I close this window, are you seeing the published papers here? Yeah. Okay. Um, so just here's the background. So we published essentially two papers with the help of uh, Elizabeth Bill Donovan, and uh, in the first case with Martin Jones. Um, the first one is called Compressions, the Hydrogen Atom and Phase Conjugation. And in that paper, basically what we showed was that if you took the generalized wave, the Klein-Gordon 
generalized wave equations, you could prove that golden mean ratio is the best way to get constructive interference for waves in a line. And now if you take that array of golden, golden mean ratio nodes of waves in a line and make that 3D, that's what a stellated dodecahedron is. That's what this vortex is, this peer-to-pine -peer cones. So effectively, an array of a dodecahedron, which we know is the geometry of the masses of the universe, DNA, Earth, Grid, Zodiac, and everything fun, really. <laughs> uh, so that golden mean ratio solves the problem of perfected constructive wave interference and therefore perfected constructive compression. Now, we totally agree with Einstein when he said that infinite or perfected non-destructive compression is the solution to the unified field and the cause of gravity. Einstein got that far. Of course, no one told him what a fractal was, and no one knew what phase conjugation was in his day. And I don't think even... And at that time, they even knew what the Planck threshold was. That was slightly later, perhaps. But when you take this phase conjugation by golden ratio to the Planck threshold, and here's the other form of my equation, that if you take Planck times integer exponents of golden ratio, you get these precise three radii of hydrogen, which proves that hydrogen looks like this. This is the top-down view. And in that geometry, you get what's called recursive adding and multiplying, which only golden mean ratio fractality allows, which is perfected, perfected heterodyning, perfected wave interference. And that's the point, that if you perfect the constructive adding and multiplying of waves, which is perfected compression, you have solved the problem of gravity. But then you need to know where does that inertia, where does that charge go when it goes through the center of the vortex, basically? Where does it go? And of course, at that time, uh, no one was thinking about longitudinal interferometry. Uh, Bearden wasn't around yet. Uh, and so it was assumed, well, the charge must go somewhere down the center of that vortex. Where does it go? <laughs> it goes somewhere specific. It goes into golden ratio multiples times C, the speed of light entering a dodecaecosa, a perfected array, which is why the golden mean ratio is the dominant geometry of all orbital mechanics because it is the way to stabilize implosive compression and therefore gravity, including the geometry of the spiral arms of galaxies and the dodecaecosa geometry of the masses in the universe and the fact that the masses in the universe are arranged fractally, it's all to stabilize charge implosion and therefore gravity. You're taking, Dan, if it's a, to your point, you're, if I'm not mistaken, you're taking the mass of an object, for example, and on the theoretical side of things, you, you, you're dividing it by C squared. The total amount of that mass divided by C squared is the amount of propagation that could come from that particular object well what we apparently know by measurement is that when raymond chow famously measured hundreds thousands of times velocities faster than the speed of light as we've mentioned many times that the dominant measurements he made were between 1.5 to 1.7 times c the speed of light wherein 1.618 golden ratio is bang on, right. strongly suggesting, if it was replicated, that if golden ratio multiple times the speed of light is the dominant measurement, that would be the smoking gun that I am right. Right. I see what that, you're saying. 
Yes. Now, I haven't spoken to the amount of mass that's converted. That's And certainly, Einstein got a lot of things correct. You know, we have published papers on Einstein's mistakes. Well, he, you know, his contribution was vast, and so was Tesla. But there were some key mistakes. Thinking the speed of light was a speed limit. Wrong. Thinking action at a distance is spooky. Wrong. You know, not knowing why objects fall to the ground. Big mistake. And this is what led Tesla into some of his mistakes, too, not knowing the nodes of that array and not knowing the frequencies of that array to enable wireless power distribution around the globe. So the second part of this uh, conversation, then, is some of that slideshow called Cause of Gravity, some of which you've seen before. You've, you've seen the equation. You, this is you've seen many times. And this is the, 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 the top-down view, again, of hydrogen. And this is... Again, we've talked about this many times. So this is the geometry of the cone that is the charge path into the center of hydrogen. And at that center point, that squirt gun, specifically the Planck threshold, enables the transverse wave entering on the left to be compressed and imploded and leave as a longitudinal wave on the right, which then Bearden is saying is the stuff of gravity waves. And that distribution of that gravity wave array then becomes the interesting physics here. Um, now, I had uh, a, a lady call me today about, she was very concerned, she was having dreams that nuclear events cause humans to lose their soul. She was having nightmares about this, actually. And she says, well, where's the physics here? We need to understand. <laughs> and uh, remember, our motivation, part of our motivation for asking this question tonight is to understand the relationship between gravity and human attention and soul. Remember when the Gurdjieff did all those exercises where he said, follow with your attention from your center of gravity down through your feet to the Earth's center of gravity, and then use your attention to follow that from the Earth's center of gravity, the Sun's center of gravity. And if you're a shaman, and <laughs> that exercise brings you to an awareness of the heart of the Sun, like it's an eyeball, actually, and it's cool and inviting. It's an organ of perception. We have many testimonials on that, the Solar Shamans e-group at yahoogroups.com. And so this was an example of the relationship between center of gravity and center of attention. And uh, so then back to the physics of what is a soul here. We, As you know, we've been talking for many episodes here about the fact that things like Therify.net plasma can trigger lucid dreaming. And the ability to lucid dream is directly related to being able to take memory through death, we believe. And uh, the array that you enter when you lucid dream, we're quite sure is a longitudinal coherent array, dreaming tracks, song line, uh, ancestral memory, Akashic records, heaven, <laughs> communion of saints. You know, did it ever occur to anybody who invented any of those words that electrical engineers have the best way of describing these things? <laughs> It well, would make it understand. Yes, go I ahead. find it quite interesting that with respects to, and this is not a jab at anyone in the community, but with respects to the paranormal UFO community, when you have scientists or physicists enter the room, there's immediately a dismissal whenever an electrical engineer or even an, an electronics engineer, or even for that matter of fact, a ceramics engineer tries to make a contribution to the conversation, almost as if the electrical engineers and so forth have the missing piece, if you will. I don't know. 
Well, and the thing is, the only way we get a language of discipline with which to understand these things in a shareable way, hopefully ending religion wars, oops, and personality worship, would be to use science, our most advanced discipline of understanding, to understand the communion of saints, the Akashic records, heaven, you know, the ancestral song lines of the aboriginals. If I, if I may ask, Dan, would you agree with when Einstein, I'm paraphrasing here, when he said science without religion is lame and, and religion without science is nothing or something like this. And I, I say that because the idea is, is that sure, science explains the things that will eventually explain the things that we, our ancestors may have called magic, for example. However, even after that is explained, just like a, 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 a longitudinal wave it's never ending so you're constantly using science to explain the unexplained yes and really our chance to understand things like action at a distance and what has been called spirituality these things will only be understood in the concept of electric within the frame of electric field theory basically charge distribution perfected that's the definition of a longitudinal array. That's the definition of fractality, definition of perfect compression. It's a definition of heaven. <laughs> hey, Ave, where the breath of charge takes flight. Champs-Élysées, you know? We've been saying this for years. So now that we understand a lot more about what is created, for example, when Jean-Charles Moyen famously used, took our advice and we measured his brainwave harmonics, dramatic coherence, alpha, beta, gamma, cascade, golden ratio, octave, tremendously coherent, implosive brainwaves, just at the moment when his lucid dreams repeatedly turned into a bilocation experience with witnesses multiple times. We know exactly the physics. This is not a mystery. So implosive compression leads the aura to be able to emit this longitudinal coherent array which is then an array within which propagation is possible within which action at a distance is possible what happens is golden ratio exponents times the speed of light inhabit the vis visualized uh, billiard balls locked into a dodecahedron in that array like uh, the dodecahedron for dorothy in contact entering the lucid dream to her ancestors <laughs> so the still points in that array are the points where action at a distance is possible that's why telepathy only happens at the dodeki kosa earth grid that's been measured cozy rev karatkov that's physics and the reason is because those are compression nodes where longitudinal radio is possible and that those are the exact same nodes where nuclear critical mass was measured reduced by bruce kathy replicably the reason is because centripetal force is the opposite of radioactivity and centripetal force is the very nature of life and negentropy. So we're not going to understand why objects fall to the ground until we understand life, negentropy and consciousness also. It's all one fun package. So when you so to your point, Dan, I wanted to ask when you have, for example, we've seen people recently on on social media post of, you know, uh, they, they'd find obsidian somewhere and then you know at a certain point in the evening they would look at the obsidian and then it would almost you would see a handful of you know uh, bipedal figures looking through that obsidian would back at at the, at the person holding the obsidian would this speak to um and other other types of i think uh, uh minerals as well but would this speak to that longitudinal communication if you will and these people looking through the obsidian um 
what they saw was not normal looking relative to what we define normal as a human would dress, if you will. So, yeah. And famously, the Olmec used obsidian mirrors for ancestor communication, which and now we know the obsidian mirror under certain circumstances could have some of the qualities of phase conjugate optic and phase conjugate dielectric, basically, which is the place where the charge lines of implosive compression, pine cones kissing noses, enable coupling with longitudinal interferometry called ancestor memory. Right. So the coding on the bottom of Nostradamus' scrying cup or John D's, uh, you know, showstone, uh, the physics of scrying, etc. Et, et this is has to do with phase conjugate mirrors because this is the array within which ancestral memory is possible, which is also the array in which gravity is stabilized and becomes nodally symmetric enough to enable DNA radio telepathy, for example, and ancestor phone calls, as Karatkov measured where Kogis go to phone ancestors. He called it fractality in the air, but we discussed it, and he agrees with us totally. It's a compression point, the definition of sacred space, where longitudinal waves make phone calls. Wow. Uh, Riel, did you want to jump in at all? I'm having a blast just uh, listening to Dan. I had some questions about earlier stuff, uh, but I didn't want to disrupt the flow. So if we do a Q&A at some point, for sure, I'll jump in. Well, let's just let's just say, dear skeptical scientist, have we answered your question, why objects fall to the ground? And let's say very specifically, why do objects fall to the ground? We know not only is hydrogen a golden ratio radii of phase conjugation and why how hydrogen makes gravity, but in fact, as we've shown the pictures many times, golden mean dot info size creation. In fact, the atomic table, SPDF subshells, S, toroid, pi, P, tetracubic, D and F, dodecaecosa, the geometry of what allows a tetracube, pi suborbital, to embed in a DF suborbital dodecaecosa is only golden mean ratio. Hello. And that applies to the nuclear hadron symmetry, the chemist moon, University of Chicago, as well as the electron shell symmetry. In other words, stellating platonics is the atomic table at the nuclear array and the electron array. And a stellating platonic called star mother kit, tetracube dodecaecosa, is all only golden ratio, meaning Golden ratio charge collapse is the defining geometry of electron shells and the platonic nest called the nucleus. And exactly how Kepler said planetary orbitals make gravity, a, a platonic nest. So he was right. It was a golden ratio charge collapse enabled. So the reason objects fall to the ground is Golden ratio fractal phase conjugation and only golden ratio allows waves to add and multiply recursively constructively. And recursive constructive adding and multiplying of wave heterodynes is enacted both in their wavelength and in their phase velocity. Components of the phase velocity, which add and multiply constructively, convert some of the inertia of that compression into the adding and multiplying of phase velocities constructively which causes that charge to experience acceleration of charge towards center, named the gravity. We've said that many times, but to be very clear, therefore, because golden ratio fractal phase conjugation enables constructive heterodyning of phase velocities, that is the cause 
of the acceleration of charge toward the center of compression, center of symmetry, named the gravity. Now that we know what causes acceleration towards center, we do, the charge implodes toward that center, we know the cause of gravity and why objects fall to the ground. Also, we know that at that center of compression, named the Planck length, the adding effect of phase velocities comes to a climax and the inertia is spit out like a squirt gun tuned by the Planck dimension, which is why the Planck dimension is the democracy of the universe. <laughs> Everybody seems to agree, don't they? Hmm. The reason they agree is because that enables that array to distribute that charge at golden ratio moles of the speed of light in the wave discipline called longitudinal interferometry, which Bearden rather proved is the physics of gravity waves. So now we can understand then why when you get to a magnetic line cross and you close your eyes, you see bigger pictures and you're much more likely to be able to take memory through death because you can inhabit a bigger array named heaven. <laughs> and remember, your present consciousness is the, you know, Indra's net, a net of fireflies, uh, a hologram in the optical cortex. That's what it is. You inhabit a, a net right now. It's a hologram in the optical cortex. You can inhabit a bigger array if you can enter it with implosive coherence discipline. Exactly, exactly what it takes to get your aura centripetal enough to lose a dream. Then you close your eyes and you're in a bigger array. Just like when I closed my eyes at the cross point of the magnetic lines, that French church, the day we were recharging, and I could see down those lines like they were a transparent tube. I was inhabiting a larger array. Eventually, you don't need your body. Ain't that fun? Uh, well, and in fact, maybe you better get there sooner rather than later because things are looking a little iffy around here. All right. <clears throat> okay. Right. Now, now I guess we're ready for the questions. Sounds good. Um, right before Riel jumps in, would it be safe to assume or presume that whether benevolent, malevolent, or neutral, if you will, with respects to um, plasma entities, spirits, and all of this, um, literally or metaphorically ride those longitudinal waves? Well, you know, the dragon in the ice castle, my fr friend David Yero's book is about, well, these magnetic lines come out of the earth sometimes, these magnetic dragons, and they're very self-aware. And the magnetic lines, currents across Australia, the song lines there, they were the family pet. They inhabited those magnetic lines like Muabdib in Dune riding those magnetic lines. And how did he ride them? He pulled apart the segments to create a still point. It was cool physics in Dune when he rode the sandworm, man. <laughs> so it's the still point that enables you to ride the dragon current. Yes, absolutely. Wow, got you. Uh, Riel, please. Sure. Thanks. What like I'm I'm trying, I'm typing up the notes, trying to like keep up with what you're saying. It's super fascinating to I've listened to so many of your lectures now that it's starting to make a lot more sense conceptually, although I can't begin to explain the mathematics of what you're talking about. But I wanted to ask about, uh, so when, when we experience synchronicities in our life, is that when uh, like we are inhabiting the array and we're kind of communicating with like the higher consciousness of like a greater plasma donut, if you will? Like when you experience all of these things, you have a thought, and then something happens, you're like, oh, I was just thinking that. Is that us like tuning into the, like inhabiting the larger array? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, synchronicity is beautiful and romantic and should remain so. We did a series of films recently at goldenmean.info slash coincidence, where we look at the physics of coincidence, specifically as charge coupling embeddability enabled between the smaller spin and the bigger spin. We started by showing in the Mayan calendar, the golden ratio defined the intervals in time between the short waves and the long waves and the major turning points of the Mayan calendar. That's all in detail at goldenmean.info slash coincidence, which would mean that the likelihood of that kind of coupling would be greater when you're in the presence of that array. For example, Schumann resonance enabled under a sacred tree and certainly at a magnetic line cross point and even more so at sunrise sunset where the phase conjugation adds to that coherent constructive compression etc cetera, etc cetera. so in fact synchronicity is the enabling of charge coupling literally once we under after we understand that time is a name only for rate of charge rotation if i may ask, if I, ahead, if I may ask very quickly so if we were to put this into a practical sense with the everyday person, Dan, say, for example, very unfortunately, nuclear war bursts out and the whole surface of the planet goes kaplut. The idea would be essentially that some every individual is in a spiritual, psychological, emotional sense, living in the moment. And I guess you could say um, accepting things for what the, I guess the, the, the idea that not having control in one's life and accepting that is the control and that allows for that that self-implosiveness when you know knock on wood god forbid the the earth goes kaplut that would allow for the soul to transfer in a in a benevolent sense a, a smooth sense without being stuck to any particular location vicinity in the physical well i mean you know the photographs that were taken as we've shown many times of of ghosts leaving the body in a very orderly way are usually taken in nature and almost never taken in electrosmog. And a nuclear disaster is an extreme form of electrosmog in that sense. But but the, the, the physics here, I think, is quite clear that any kind of a nuclear event would so fractionate the longitudinal array, what the uh, indigenous would have called ancestral song lines, that it would greatly fractionate ancestral memory and ensoulment. So I, as I said to this lady who called today, I said, actually, I think the ETs were right when the, the tall whites and others, when they so insisted that, Einz, that Eisenhower give up his nukes because it, it is such a horrible disaster to many lifetimes of ensoulment when the coherence of the longitudinal array is disturbed by such things. So seriously bad news. Now that we understand exactly the coherence longitudinal bubble you take with you into a lucid dream and through death, we know that that can be somewhat fragile, disturbed by things like electrosmog. And so a very peaceful orderly death is a great blessing it entered the way you would enter bliss. And so just for the audience, if you're interested in more of the, the nuclear karma side of things, I believe that was the second lecture, Dan, that you gave uh, Generation Z. So maybe yes. we can include a link in the description, the, yeah, the physics right. of we, nuclear karma. They, that The recurrent turning points in the ET history of Earth always is labeled nuclear karma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if we understood, you know, the first nuclear device was called implosion because... <laughs> They needed a certain critical mass of explosions around the surface of the sphere in order to make fat boy implode, and they call that nuclear. What is that? That is the convergence of a critical mass of 
centripetal longitudinal inertia. So essentially, the longitudinal field is the def defining critical mass of the of the nuclear device. So it's obvious that a cross point of longitudinal waves on the land would affect nuclear critical mass. So once you understand what centripetal force is. So Dan, if I may ask, putting aside these these rumors of the Greys or the Nebu being um, not just time travelers or hoppers, but maybe even multi-dimensional hoppers, if we put that aside for a moment, this idea that there there's an upcoming um, split reality, if you will, I wonder if that has anything to do with a certain group of humans that are uh, being that are more open to the plasma organic self implosive spiritual uh, negentropic angle of things and then you have the other angle of humans where they kind of go with the more nuts and bolts type of things i wonder if that split of reality is what these nebu were speaking on when they said we're you from the future they weren't exactly lying but they weren't exactly it was yes and no depending on how you view it if that makes mm -hmm. sense well, actually, Marina Saren, who's the, my friend here in Spain, who probably may have the most experience with these messy grays, and she's very clear. No, they were lying. <laughs> oh, they were lying. Okay. They yeah, the grays were not humans from the future. That's their favorite lie. No. Okay. <laughs> these neighbors are tricky, messy. And the other thing we've learned is the reason the Templar agenda, the repair of the fabric of time, William Bueller is got messier after Montauk and Philadelphia was because the fractionation in the fabric of time let more parasite in, in right. Nebu and Grays. And so well, the third thing we've learned is with the Swaru story is that too much time travel fractionates the soul. Right. And that all the good guys are working real hard to defractionate the time the timelines hint to make them into one linear fractal array and anytime timelines break up and fractionate it means consciousness is weakened right that... so the bad guys fractionate time the good guys turn it into a rose i see the bad guys try and get the squiggly lines all in a mess and that makes guys... the races weaker and more susceptible to parasites whereas reassembling the timelines into one coherent centripetal fractal like the golden ratio of the spiral arms of the galaxy enables more coherent compression and therefore the emergence of consciousness this would make more sense relative to this this uh th these talks of you know human ascension if you were consciousness in our next level of ascension by having the timeline centripetal and and longitude and, okay this makes and, and ascension is just a name or the next larger array you can inhabit when you can embed that compression specifically and that's specifically measurable when the short wave embeds the long wave as your dna recursively braid embeds during bliss so the short wave braid embeds in a longer wave when that's recursive that's implosive that embeds you in a big longitudinal array and that's called ascension and it's directly related to the braiding physics of bliss thank you uh riel did you want to yeah sure uh for the audience or even dan i don't know if you've heard of the show rick and morty which is a cartoon generated for adults, but it's it's an animated show. But there is one episode where they actually talk about time. And the whole concept is they keep on fractionating themselves and there should only be one dot, but a second dot appears and then multiple dots. And it goes exactly into what you just said. So that was a very like practical, humorous way of almost explaining what you're talking about now. Um, but my question is not about that. It's actually about fundamentally can we still use like newtonian physics to understand why why objects fall to the ground because no. if you're saying that 
Yeah, if you're saying that uh, time is uh, the spin rate equals time, well, yes. Newtonian physics doesn't talk about spin. I, it doesn't I'm talk nowhere, about rotation. I'm nowhere right? near Dan's level. I want to be clear, but I would firmly say from the handful of months I've been studying <laughs> work, no, no. Well, so I, do we have I to know. start from scratch with with physics, or can we still use what we already know to help usher in a new wave of understanding these things? You know, our friends like Elizabeth Donovan insist that when Oliver Heaviside castrated Maxwell's equations, removing the, the quaternion, the fourth, the, that fourth element was essentially spin. So when Einstein tried to write the equations, he didn't, he couldn't even represent spin. Oops. <laughs> there, there are certain models in, in, in theory that don't, that fall apart when you try and involve higher elements, let's call it. But, you know, physics has talked about string theory and superposed axes of rotation. And in fact, physics was actually close when they said entanglement creates the Einstein-Rosen bridge enabling action at a distance. That's not, actually, they were close. Entanglement perfected defines what phase conjugation is. Implosive embedding is the climax form of entanglement. So they actually did have a clue. <laughs> but then how that compression wave goes down that array longitudinal line, and then when it crosses at a distance, at that compression node where the pine cones again kiss noses, there is again an interchange of inertia from transverse and longitudinal, enabling containment of a heat at a distance. That was the end of Einstein's all action at a distance is spooky. And instead it was a de description of the physics of action at a distance, which is necessary for any conversation about spirituality. In other words, I, I, if, if I may paraphrase, it seems like Newtonian physics almost, dare I say, deliberately removes spirituality. Well, <laughs> spirituality is a name for our aura being able to inhabit a longer wave, a bigger array. And to get centripetal in a big enough array, eventually to steer a star, or certainly a tornado, which is what Kundalini is. And so physics actually can get there and describe these things beautifully. And the reason why we get so enthused and excited here is because unless this planet gets a handle on what a soul is really quick, yeah. our children are all becoming Borgs really fast because we don't know what's stealing the souls of our kids, all this electrosmog and the wrong injections and all this crap. Once we measure the coherence of the aura and the ability to lucid dream, predicting who's got a soul, then our politicians could make some decisions intelligently. Right. It's almost as yeah, not. It's almost as if there are there are potential non-human um, <laughs> motivations you know, at play. Well, well, Elaine and Danan said when they kicked the Greys and the Dracos, the Nebu out of here, you know, they took the the this the tick out of your arm, but the, there's still a mess in your bloodstream. <laughs> sure, sure. I mean, if you have a cancer circulating around a, 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 something for decades or millennia, after you pluck it, there's still the remnants. Yeah. You, you, you got to teach the kids what causes consciousness. And in order to do that, you need to teach them what causes an object to fall to the ground. Right, 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 right. Uh, Riel, did you have any more questions for Dan or? Yeah, actually, uh, this is a, a one that I've been trying to understand and draw parallels. Are you familiar with Richard Hoagland's hyperdimensional torsion field physics? He was right in looking at the tetracubic symmetry of the uh, face on Mars and the monuments right. on Mars, which parallel the tetracubic symmetry of the monuments on Earth. Right. And he talked about that as a, a description of going to the next dimension. And it's true. If you superpose 
around a tetra cube, a dodecaecosa, which is what the Earth grid is superposed around the tetra of the Cydonia and the Earth grid pyramids. So that was an introduction to identifying that by spectrum analysis was beyond him and identifying how that made a longitudinal wave, I think was beyond him. But that was all pretty well described in that book, Two Thirds by David Myers and David Percy, actually, in which they said the pyramid is called the Hummer because it piezo embeds the low frequencies of the Schumann phase conjugate pump wave and implodes and distributes that resulting longitudinal array into a global wireless power distribution grid. That's what the pyramids primarily were designed for, which means by definition, they were what's called a gravity diode and did help stabilize the planet on its axis of spin at that time. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's, I didn't know as much details as that. I love your response. And I found it interesting. The 19.5 uh, node of the tetra tetrahedron, but yeah. actually it's more specifically 19.47. And then watching the lecture you had with Jason uh, Mazzotto. Yeah. Uh, that was very fascinating to talk about how every 20 years, there's almost like a thinning of time, as you mentioned in this lecture today. So I was wondering if we could be drawing like parallels between like the, the tetrahedral node of 19.47 with the actual like timeline of our current uh, like calendar understanding of how we perceive time. Because I find it fascinating that the year 1947 was kind of a very big year for our timeline to become fractionated in a way with Roswell and with other geopolitical events happening. So I was just wondering if that would be too much of a leap or if that's something that could be fun to, to dabble into. Well, you know, it's true that 19.47 degrees has to do with the angle at which Tetra Cube would embed, how you tilt in order to embed in dodecaecosa, just like 32 degrees embeds a cube in a dodeca, the chin angle of the Sphinx as it were. Now, you know, there is a whole section of the pyramid wall uh, analysis, which supposedly proves that rotational distance is a map of time. And that's which, which is, which is true, actually rotational angular distance is time quite literally, once you understand the time of spin rate. So you could make that case. However, in this case, saying that 19.47 degrees, somehow it's 1947, <laughs> that's where you have a mismatch of dimension of uh, scalar. And, and I, we, we have to be very, we don't want to fall into numerology here. Pattern recognition is useful, but it's for woo-woos until you predict something a wave is going to do. But it is true that, of course, 1947 was a turning. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. And yeah, for as far as I'm concerned, like that's, <laughs> I'm almost like ment I'm mentally stimulated, but also like almost saturated because of all of the information that Dan uh, shares with us every time. It's well, I mean, Hoagland was doing something useful when he said that planetary orbital dynamics had to embed in zodiacal spins in order to stabilize the inertia from the long wave to the short wave named the gravity. And one way of doing that is the dodecaecosa tetracubic, uh, the Cydonia array and the earth grid tetracube and the earth. So that embedding of local rotations and zodiacal rotations to stabilize gravity and therefore atmosphere was a very useful study. And but it, it, the, to understand the reason that implosion stabilizes gravity and therefore atmosphere is specifically phase conjugation to Planck to embed in a coherent longitudinal array. That is the next step. At, at angstrom levels, though. That well, that's the point. You know, to make lasers phase conjugate, you got to get angstrom level angular ac accuracy, absolutely, and you need a tremendously permissive material phase conjugate dielectric barium strontium titanate. 
But to make magnetic lines phase conjugate a much longer wave, you know, you have some flexibility there. Well, that's why when you're on the surface of the earth and the sunset passes directly by you, and if you close your eyes at that moment, your hair stands up because you're phase conjugating a longer wave. And that's an example of phase conjugate magnetics. I Okay, well, Dan, I think that's a great, uh, this is a great place to end it, if that's all right with you. I, me and Rial would like to thank you so very much, as always, for your time. And this has been nothing but fantastic. I think, I hope that was a happily ever after. So, dear scientists, if you now agree, we now know why an object falls to the ground, that's great. But if not, send me an email, info <laughs> at fractalfield.com. Let's discuss it. Sounds <laughs> thank good. You. Thank you so much, everyone. Blessings. Blessings. <laughs>